I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 195, Unexpected Joy. Today we are going to be sharing books that we didn't necessarily think were for us or books that turned out to be different or more than we expected. Before we get started, we just want to talk a little bit about bookshop.org. If you're not familiar with bookshop.org, that's an online bookstore whose mission, one of their missions is to support local independent bookstores. And so when you buy books from there, part of your money can go to a bookstore of your choice, or if you don't choose one, they just divide it up between the bookstores who are members there. We have affiliate links to bookshop.org. So if you go to our shop, first of all, you can find curated lists that we have provided in bookshop.org. And you can share a little bit of that purchase price with us. We get a cut of anything you buy with those links or from our shop. So if you are interested, you can go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, and we have a link to bookshop.org there, and that will take you to our shop. Or you can go to bookshop.org slash shop slash unabridgedpod. We just really think that they have a great mission, and we hope that you'll check out bookshop.org if you haven't. All right, to get started, we are going to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? So one of the books I'm reading right now that I am almost finished with is Elizabeth Lim's Six Crimson Cranes. This one just came out in July and I was fortunate to get an early copy from NetGalley and I was excited about it before I started it. I knew that it was a blend of the wild swan, a fairy tale, and also several East Asian tales and that all of that would be part of the story. So I it had caught my attention. I mean, I requested it on NetGalley, but I have loved it so much. So Shiori is the main character and early on she gets cursed and it affects her and her six brothers. So she is a princess. They are the princes, all six of them. She's the only princess and all six of them are affected by this curse. But for her, part of the effect is that she cannot speak at all. And it's also that she can't speak, but she still has her voice. And if she talks, it will kill one sound would kill one of her brothers. So it's very high stakes, but it also requires a lot of willpower for her to navigate this aspect of the curse. I love the way that we see Shiori right away wind up in this horrible situation. And yet she is just really a remarkable character. I just really love her. I love going on the adventure with her. I really appreciate the way that she navigates her resourcefulness and her determination. And that despite horrendous circumstances and a lot of setbacks, she finds a way to continue to connect with people and to remain hopeful and to not give up in the face of really, really terrible odds and just like a hard situation that there doesn't seem to be a solution to. But she never loses sight of wanting to reconnect with her brothers and 
she also just meets so many people along the way who turn out to be different than what she expects. And so I have absolutely loved it. It's been quite a while since I read a fantasy book and I have enjoyed every bit of it. I haven't wanted to put it down and I can't wait to see what happens at the end. So it's a great one. I highly recommend it. I'm not quite finished yet, but I feel sure that the last 10 or 15% is not, is not going to <laughs> alter my feelings that it's really great. I do believe it's going to be a duology. So I don't think that it's going to be a huge series, but I am not expecting everything to entirely get resolved at the end of this one. Mm-hmm. So again, that's Elizabeth Lem's Six Crimson Cranes. And I think it's great. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And unabridged pod reading challenge. Yes, it's perfect for that. In fact, I will probably be, if we talk about those anymore, I will probably revisit this one because yeah, there's a lot to discuss as far as a retelling. Yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Sarah, how about you? What are you reading? Well, I am going to cheat just a bit. I just finished Zakia Dalila Harris's The Other Black Girl. And I loved it. I thought it was great. This book follows Nella, the only black young woman working at Wagner Books. And she's been working there about two years. And then one day, a new black girl of about her age comes and starts working there. Her name is Hazel. And she's really excited because there's so much not represented at Wagner Books. So she's really excited to have an ally and someone who is also black to help her with, she has, she has started some diversity campaigns and different things at Wagner books. There is also the perspective of three other black women sprinkled throughout the book. One is Diana, one is Shawnee and one is Kendra Ray. They're not really in the narrative of Nella and Hazel, but they are providing background information. And I really don't want to give too much away because It is fantastic. It is compelling. If you've watched the movie Get Out, there is a little bit of a similar type feeling that you get in that movie. It is not gory at all, but it just, it has a little bit of a similarity to that movie. Oh, it's so good. I just loved it. That's why I wanted to cheat because I just really want to promote it because I thought it was excellent. It gives you so much to think about. And I really liked the way that the author examined these young black women and kind of their experience in the workforce. And it was great. It was just great. So definitely read it. It would be a great book club book. And I think it is excellent. So that is Zakia Dalila Harris's The Other Black Girl. I cannot wait to read that one. I can't either. (laughs) I was actually listening to another podcast and one of the hosts talked about that book and I went and she, she described it so great. So with such great kind of like increased my anticipation for reading it. And so I went immediately and got the audio and the print, the ebook from my library and I read it really quickly. So it was mm-hmm. great. I have that one on hold. I'm really looking forward to my hold coming in. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, what are you reading right now? So this book has a lot of authors, so get ready. So this is Danielle Clayton, Tiffany D. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon's Blackout. If you are a fan of YA novels, 
you are perking your ears right up because that is such an amazing slate of authors. And Blackout is, oh my goodness, I'm loving it so, so much. So it's a short story collection mostly. Tiffany D. Jackson starts off the collection and her short story, I'm assuming, is going to go through the whole thing. So she has a story about two exes who are thrown together by circumstances that does not reach resolution at the beginning. It's sort of broken up through the book. And then each of the other authors has a short story. And each short story focuses on teenagers. Most of the characters in the book are Black, but not all. And it's just this variety of romances, all of which are precipitated by this Blackout in New York City. So there's a Blackout in New York. And that is causing characters to be in proximity who maybe otherwise wouldn't be or is causing them to reveal things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have revealed. It's really cool because each time we move from one short story to another, there's some connection. So maybe the next short story focuses on the sister of someone from the short story before and They are different ages. So some of these teenagers have just graduated from high school. Some are still young teenagers. It's just great. It's hard to, I don't want to summarize each short story, but they are such great writers. They are so clearly having a blast. If you've seen the publicity about this book, they had a blast writing together and collaborating. And the book is just phenomenal. And it's this great balance of serious content and fun content. There's humor. They all have different styles, even though it is all contemporary realistic. Within that, they have such different voices and different writing styles, which is perfect for short stories that are connected. So yeah, I just am really looking forward to seeing how the one story that's broken up through the book wraps up. But I cannot recommend Blackout enough. And I'll read the list of authors one more time because they're so good. So it's Danielle Clayton, Tiffany D. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. And I also think just as a teacher, this is a great book to hand to a kid who's looking for new authors because every one of these authors has other books that they've written alone that are phenomenal. But if you can get them to dip into these short stories, they might find one whose style they like more than the others. And I've read at least one other book by each of these authors and would highly recommend their solo work as well. So I think it's a great teaching tool as well. Yeah, I cannot I wait to read, to read that. I cannot wait. I, oh it was so, that was one where when we saw that it was coming out way before it's pub day, the three of us were like, ah, <laughs> this thing is happening. This is so exciting because yeah, it's just such a joy to see really awesome authors working together on a project. It's really cool. You will both love it so, so much. I think I was like scheming. Maybe this can be a buddy read at some point. We'll let the books, you know, once it's been out for a while, copies are a little cheaper. I think it would be so much fun to discuss. And we haven't done a short story collection before, so that might be fun. I love that idea, Jen. And I think just like you said about the classroom, I mean, I think it's nice for adults as well that it gives you a taste of a wide variety of great authors. And that does really help you to discover someone new. Yeah. 
Yeah. It makes me happy. I could just read it all over. <laughs> I just start back to on page one. All right. Well, we are going to transition now to our main discussion. So again, our episode is Unexpected Joy. So these are just books that surprised us in some way. I think looking at our list that way may be different for each of us. So we can each explain why it was unexpected. But yeah, we're just each going to share a book that brought us joy for some reason. Sarah, what about you? What book are you recommending? When I was thinking about this category, I thought about when we read uh, way back when The Last Black Unicorn by Tiffany Haddish. And the reason I thought about that is because I downloaded the audiobook and listened to it and Tiffany Haddish reads it. And what brought me unexpected joy was that I did not realize how much I was going to just adore listening to, first of all, celebrity memoirs and listening to the author read them in their own voice and especially comedic writers and comedians. So I listened to Tiffany Haddish's book and I adored it and I adored her telling the stories, I should say. I I will say that book has some things that made me blush wildly and made me a little uncomfortable, (laughs) (laughs) but I thought, but her reading it just was this total unexpected joy that I didn't realize I was missing when I was reading paper copies of nonfiction books by people who are not necessarily writers, but are, you know, but have great stories to tell. Mm -hmm. So after I read her book, I read Kevin Hart's book on audio, which was amazing and hilarious and also really poignant at times that last year, one of my favorite books of the year was Colin Jost's book, A Very Punchable Face. I listened to him read it and it was just, I was la- I laughed and I cried and I just thought, wow, these comedians who are, are not writing like fiction books and, and aren't known for writing narratives, they are telling these amazing stories about their life and and hearing them and hearing them talk about it with their own voice. I just like all that. I guess I, what I'm trying to say is when I read Tiffany Haddish's book for the podcast, that opened up this whole new realm of things. I, I found so much joy in listening to these authors tell their stories. Mm-hmm. So, so that's mine. That was my unexpected joy. And since then I really realized that when I read nonfiction by people who have a lot of wit and sarcasm. I prefer to read the books on audio because they are so great, which is why how I got into Samantha Irby and Lindy West and all these amazing women who are doing really phenomenal things. So I think that reading that book for the podcast really opened up this whole window of opportunity for me. So that's my unexpected joy. The kickoff to my obsession with celebrity memoirs or memoirs oh, read by a- hilarious people And that book was Tiffany Haddish's The Last Black Unicorn. That's just such a great thing to notice about your reading, that that was sort of the beginning of a trend for you. That's cool. Yeah, I love that, Sarah. I love thinking about, I like your reflection on how that brought about a change for you as a reader, because I think like that's, it's really nice when you can look back and identify something like that, because it's really cool to be like, oh yeah, I read this one thing, but it opened up this whole world of things that, you know, change the way that I read. And I did. I loved, I listened to that one on audio too. And I loved I did too. it. <laughs> and there were parts yeah. that, like you said, were down, down and dirty for sure. And I loved it. I, I'm here but so that. hilarious. I'm here for that. <laughs> 
All right. Well, Ashley, how about you? What are you recommending for your unexpected joy? So this is what I read really recently, and I wanted to share it because I came, I had seen some of the, actually an ambassador had said how much she loved it. And so that brought it to my attention and I'd seen some good things about it, but I, and I, it was available on audiobook at the library. And so I just kind of stumbled across it, but I wasn't, I didn't know much going into it. And I just really found it to be so much more than what I expected it to be. And so that's why I chose it. So this is Rebecca Stead's The List of Things That Will Not Change. And I talked about this a little bit on a bookish check-in. And when I shared about it, I was pretty early on, but I was seeing that I really, it had caught my attention. I enjoyed it. But I think what I love is that this one's set for pretty young readers. It's, it's middle grade, but I think even upper elementary appropriate. And what I love about it is it addresses some really important things in what I felt was a really authentic and whole way. And so some of those things are that B is the main character and she is sweet and fun and lovable and she loves her family, but she also has a lot of anxiety and she has anxiety and she also has eczema. And for people who don't know a lot about eczema, eczema itches. I had terrible eczema when I lived in Japan. Mine's a lot better now, but anyway, it, it itches like really, really, really badly. But of course, anxiety and itching can also go together. And so she's navigating that. And then early on in the story, she's she's about 12 when she's telling the story, but you get the back story of a lot of what leads up to where she is as a 12 year old. And that goes back to around when she's eight. So it goes back to when her mom and her dad are divorcing. And when they divorce, they are, they want to make sure that she understands that each of them love her very much and that they love each other, but in a different way than they did and that their love for each other will not change and that they will not move far away from each other. And so they make this list and that's the title of the book is the list of things that will not change. And the list is quite short when they first create it for B, but it says the most important things and her parents use that as a way to talk to her about their divorce. And when they get a divorce, they're divorcing because her dad is gay. And so they also talk with her about how their love is different. And because of that, they still can be friends with each other, but their mom, her mom and dad are going to go in different directions. So that happens. And when they, when that around the time that that happens, they also get be involved in therapy and she gets to know Miriam, who is her therapist. And at first she does not like anything about that, but she develops this great relationship with Miriam. And so then later on, when we're getting to the point where she's 12, a lot of what she's working through as a 12 year old, she works through not only with her parents, but also with Miriam. And I think what I really loved is the way that Stead shows what therapy can do for a child and how powerful that can be. And also how, I think there's a lot of normalization of that and how it's just great to have someone to talk to and it's great to have coping mechanisms. And one of the things I loved about this story is that I think it's really powerful. And there are some really practical things that kids can immediately do that I got from the story. So we are 
in transit and my six-year-old is experiencing a fair bit of anxiety related to that. And so one of the things I love is the way that B is taught to have a time that she sets aside to worry every day. And so she's encouraged to set a five-minute timer and to worry during worry time. And so every time it's not worry time, the adults in her life help her work through this like mental training that's basically like, it's not worry time. So I'm going to save those worries for my worry time tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about them right now. And like that has been very effective for me to use with my child. So I think because she has a lot of worries and a lot of them have developed as, I mean, we are overseas, we're overseas for a long time and she's having a great time, but she also is experiencing a lot of anxiety. And some of it I think is directly related to age. She's like just now around seven. So I think she's starting to understand things that that are more abstract that she didn't understand so well before. So I think that's part of it. But I think part of it too is that, you know, there's a lot of tumult involved in long-term travel. And so even though she's really having fun, she also has started to have these kind of perpetual worries that she didn't have before. And so what I loved is just how I felt like the book is this great story, but it also helps kids navigate and help me as a mom and as a reader navigate this thing and help me feel like, number one, it's normal. And number two, there are things to do about it. And I just think that's really great. And then the other aspect, so I love that related to anxiety. And then the other thing that I really love is that her dad has a boyfriend, Jesse, and he is great. And the main thing that's happening at the beginning of the story is that they're going to get married. So this really excited thing, exciting thing is happening. And Jessie has a daughter. And so B, for the first time in her life, is going to have a sister. And so she's always wanted a sister. And so she's just like overjoyed. But what she has trouble understanding at first is that for Sonia, who lives in California, not New York, and whose mom is out in California and whose life is out in California and who only sees her dad sometimes, this is not like such an open and close, like, oh, I'm so excited thing like it is for B. And so she has to kind of work her way through that. And so it, like, I think that part is really beautiful too, just so well done. And I think that Stead really shows us how B feels and how also B can't see any way to feel, but the way that she feels. And so I just, I just love that because I think that's authentic to our experience, but especially the experience of young people. And then finally, I don't want to give any spoilers. I just want to say that Stead navigates family dynamics and prejudice related to homosexuality and how that can be really hard to get through. And she does not take easy answers in that situation. And I really appreciated that too. I think that that was the thing, all of that just really brought me joy and just made me love the book so much. I just thought that it was richly done and hit on several really important things in a way that I think is true to life instead of an effort to comfort younger readers or make things seem simple that are not simple. So again, that's Rebecca Stead's The List of Things That Will Not Change. And I was unexpectedly thrilled by that one. So that sounds so good. Ashley, when you were talking, it reminded me of Holly Goldberg Sloan and Meg Wolitzer's Tonight Owl from Dogfish, the part where about the upcoming wedding. So that one is told from the perspective of two girls whose dads are in a relationship and they're writing letters back and forth to each other. Oh, neat. And yeah, so I think it would be very different, but it's also a middle grade read and it was really, it was really fun. It was, 
very well done. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So you might like that one too. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll have to check that out. So Jen, what's your pick? So mine, I, I was having a hard time because I will say I read a lot. I read a lot about books. And so as I was scrolling through my Goodreads list, I was like, well, no, I expected that one to be good. I expect, and if anything, I'm an optimistic reader. So if anything, I'm more, <laughs> I have more unexpected disappointments and unexpected joys because I always go in assuming I'm going to love it. And, but the one I got to was one, we did a Kickstarter a while back and one of our supporters pledged a certain amount of money, which meant that that person got to choose a book and that we would write a book discussion guide for that book. I'll put in a plug here for our Teachers Pay Teacher store where we have discussion guides about a lot of books. But this was a book that I had not really heard of. And I just ended up loving it. So the title is, it's Patrick Svensson's The Book of Eels, Our Enduring Fascination with the Most Mysterious Creature in the Natural World. And I have no problem with nonfiction, but I think it was the book discussion guide part that I was like, how are we going to write a book discussion guide about the book of eels? But you know, I'm up for anything, so whatever. So I opened the book and I love this book so much. I could not put it down. It's not all that long. It is a science book, a nature book. I'm actually thinking about using it in my classroom, but it is also a really moving memoir in which Svensson is, is delving into his relationship with his father and his childhood. And it is just beautiful. It is beautifully written it's really interesting because he alternates between really studying the European eel, which is this mysterious species. We really don't know a lot about it still. People for a long time had never seen both sexes of the eel. They had no idea where they bred. They had, There were all these mysteries around eels and just their life cycle. And they completely change appearance and biology in the different stages of their lives. So he goes through all of that. He talks about Freud had this weird experience with the eels before he was a psychologist. He was going to be a scientist and he's in there. He talks about eels and literature and what they've come to symbolize. He talks about the way that eels can reveal a lot about our approach to the environment, about different communities who depend on fishing for eels to support their economy and what happens when they become endangered. So he has all of that, that half of the book. And then he just has, I, I fished with my dad a lot. And so I have very fond memories of fishing with my dad. And that meant a lot to me. And so those chapters about Svensson and his father fishing for eels and trying all of these different methods and what those times meant to him. I, I cried more than once in this book, which I definitely did not expect when I opened it up. It just was this reading experience. It just reminded me that I don't know about all the books and that I need to be open to books that other people have heard of that I haven't. And so it, it really was an unexpected joy to read this one. I, I just could not have loved it more. Every time I think about it, I kind of get moved all over again. I think it's a really beautiful book that has a lot of depth. And again, it's really not very long, but it covers so much ground and, it, it's almost like this web with threads reaching out into so many realms of human existence, all grounded 
with this very personal relationship. So I just loved it. Everyone should read the book of eels. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I've heard you talk about it several times and that definitely would not be one that I picked up, but after hearing you talk about it, I would love to read it. Yeah. You read it too, Ashley, right? Yeah, I did. I was back. I, I didn't get to read it for the book guy. Cause I was so backed up with books. <laughs> they, they took the pressure off of me to read it. <laughs> yeah. I think that, one of the things that was so striking to me is how little is known about the eel and how long all parts were completely mysterious. I think it just was really humbling to remember how little we know about so much of the natural world. And I think because I'm not in science that I take for granted that a lot of the things that are happening in the world have been figured out. And of course that isn't true, but I think that that part was really rich for me. And then, like you said, Jen, I think he just does such a masterful job of connecting the personal to the global and that, that, that fluid movement between those two spaces and how they interact with each other is really powerful. It's quite a reading experience. All right. Well, we hope that you are thinking about unexpected joys too, and we would love to know what yours might be. To end our episode, we are going to shift over to our Give Me One, and today's topic is favorite procrastination method. So (laughs) Ashley, how do you procrastinate? (laughs) This one makes me laugh. Um, And I was like, huh, what do I do to procrastinate? I think the number one thing I do to procrastinate is make lists of the things that I need to do. (laughs) And it is actually very effective. And I have taken it to a new level because this year I am bullet journaling, which I love, but also which I can pour a ton of time into. And so I have, I feel like I'm at next level procrastination now with my list making, but it is effective for me. And the more stressed I feel about all the things I have to do, the more that that does help me ground myself and work through things in a logical way. But I also can waste a serious amount of time doing that. (laughs) So, (laughs) So yeah, it's one I enjoy. And also that keeps me from getting to the task. Mm-hmm. That sounds very like a very appealing method. Sarah, how about you? How do you procrastinate? Mine is not nearly as productive as Ashley's. Mine has no possible way to be productive, but mine is scrolling the socials and also TikTok. I get sucked in and sometimes when I don't want to do something, I'll be like, I'll just take a little peek and then 30 <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> so that's mine. It's, it's Mm -hmm. bad, but what can I do? Yeah. Well, I think that that is, it's tough because when you know you have something to do, it's not like you feel like you can designate time to something. Whereas for sure, my phone is a huge distraction that I do procrastinate with because I won't give myself the grace to be like, oh, I'm going to go do whatever thing that I really want to do for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. Right. Whereas it is a lot easier for something like that where, yeah, time passes, but you're not permitting that time to pass in the same way that like, (laughs) Uh you know, choosing to do something is. I think that's been a really hard thing to navigate with the way our phones are now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. sure. (laughs) Yeah. Jen, what is your procrastination method? I have had so many over the years. I'm a really bad procrastinator. Uh, I will say right now, one of mine is curating my book lists. 
And by that, I mean, so on different book vendors online and at the local library, I have all of these want to read books. And so on Bookstagram, all the time, somebody will say a good book and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to add that to my list. And I sincerely do. My list, I, I don't think I'm in the millions yet, but I have thousands, literally thousands of books on my list. So I do have those things to my list, which has made it very, very long. So I'll go through and I'll remove books that I've read or I'll look for duplicates or on in the library. I'll be like, oh, I have that book and I'll take that off my wish list. And I, I can while away a lot of time doing that. I pretend that it is productive. Of course, I don't need to do that because, yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't actually look at the list when I buy books. It's just a way to like somehow adding it to my list makes me remember it more. But yeah, that is totally useless. But I love lists and I love making them clean. And yeah, <laughs> I was going to talk about Minesweeper. That was my prime procrastination method in high school. My mom would always hear the the sound. If, if people know Minesweeper, that sound of the click, 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 and then something would explode. And she would yell at me because our computer was in the basement. Remember that time we had the big desktop? It was in our basement. And she would be upstairs and she would listen. I don't know why I didn't ever turn the volume off, but she would hear the sounds. Jennifer, get to work. <laughs> it was really bad. But anyway. All right. Well, we hope you check back Monday. We would love to know what your procrastination methods are, because I think we're all always looking for new procrastination methods. <laughs> and let us know what your unexpected joys in reading have been. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.